All right, well, it's good to be with everyone today. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to praise God and worship Him like we have so far. And if you want to, you can open up your Bibles to John 10. Um, that will be the main text that we will be looking at today. Um, before we get into that, though, I do want to read a few verses from 1 John 1. So if you want to mark John 10, that's where we will wind up spending the bulk of our time. But we're going to start in 1 John. Just want to start by saying it's uh, good to be back with you. I was gone last weekend. Um, not that Mother's Day is an actual thing that you know we must observe, but I don't think my mom would be happy if I didn't observe it. So um, I was with her. I wasn't able to spend much time with them last time I was home, and uh, it was good to be with her and my grandmother. And we had people, uh, we had them over to eat and everything. So that was good to see them. Um, and. Uh, but I miss being with, being with you all, and it's good to have some visitors. Uh, I was kind of surprised when they walked in, because I know them from when I went to school at Auburn, and we worshiped at the same congregation there, so it's good to have the Humphreys here. Um, so just kind of a preface a little bit for the lesson today, um, and I think that First John, and when we read the first three verses in a second, I think that'll kind of show you where I'm coming from. I started thinking about some of the things that I hear people say or ask whether it's in studies or just conversations about spiritual things, about, about the Bible specifically. And I don't know if I've heard a lot of people outright ask this question, but I, I think that what's behind a lot of the comments or questions is this idea of, you know, how do we really know God? Like how, how can we define that? Are, those, are, there, are there different ways that we know God? Um, you know, does that determine why we have different opinions or thoughts and beliefs on things? And, and that has come up in some studies uh, that I've been to where it seems like it's kind of a, almost an imbalance of like, well, I know God this way, and that seems to like hold more weight compared to how you know God. No one says that. I've never heard anyone come out and say that. But if you listen to how someone approaches the Bible and studying the Bible, it almost seems like sometimes the way they know God um, trumps what the Bible says. Like that determines everything about their belief system, about why they do what they do, about um, their understanding of God in general is just defined by how they came to know God or how they know God today. Uh, so let's start in First John. Um, John is dealing with a lot of things about knowledge and knowing. I know that um, I'm going to try to not use the word no uh, apart from uh, the lesson just because it will get a little confusing. Uh, it seems as though John is referencing people who would have been considered Gnostics. So it was all, you know, there's a lot of dispute about knowledge and how they come to knowledge and what they actually know. So in 1 John 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Why is John saying this? And I, I think that the purpose of this writing was to, to address what is known and therefore how you live based on what is known. So really what he's saying here, what it seems to me is that 
you need to listen to what I'm about to say. And the reason you need to listen to that is because I've seen Jesus. I touched him. I heard him. I beheld him. Um, and he wasn't just a man. He was from above, right? That which is uh, from the beginning. We've heard that which was from the beginning. We've, we've heard God. We've seen God in the flesh. We, he was made manifest to us. He, we beheld him. I think that's what he's really pointing to, is that these threats of the teachings of the people around you, you don't need to listen to them because we saw Jesus. We, we touched Jesus. We heard him. So when we think about some things that, some questions we have, or we think about talking with people and the conversations that kind of revolve around maybe disputes that we have, or even just the fundamental layer of how do we know what truth is, what we really need to try to figure out is how do we know God? How have we come to know God? In Hebrews chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, you can. In Hebrews 1, it's pretty evident. He says that in time past, kind of like in Star Wars and along in a galaxy far, far away kind of thing, you know. But in times past, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, basically in that generation, in those days that the writer of Hebrews is speaking of, he spoke to people through his son. So how do we know God? How can we come to know God? Well, at one point it was through God himself. Like he spoke to people and those people were prophets that spoke to other people, to a wider audience. So you knew God because you heard him directly. Um, not that everyone heard him directly. I mean, some did. Uh, and there were times where many people heard him. But then how, do, how can these people that John is writing to or that Paul is writing to, how could they know God? Well, you know God through Jesus. And I think that the answer, if we want to ask the question, well, how can we know God? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. But really the answer is we know God because of based on what John 20 says, we know God because of the things that were written about Jesus. We know God because he's revealed himself through the things that, that we see, not just around us, but we see specifically in his word. We know God through Jesus to, still today is what I'm getting at. So a few, let's go ahead and go to John 10. I'll, I'll just kind of expound a little bit on some of the ideas and thoughts that, that I've heard and that I've, I've um, had myself at times. And I just want to ask this question and get you to start thinking about it. How do you know God? And maybe another question would be, how did you come to know God? For some of us, that might seem like an odd question because when you think about it, it's like, I, I feel like I've always known God. I mean, I was, quote unquote, raised in the church. I grew up around spiritual people. For me, it seems like I've always known God. So that's kind of a hard question. That might be where some of you are. For others of you, you think of a, a specific time, like an experience where it's like, that was the moment that I knew God or I came to know God. Sometimes it was in the midst of a terrible situation in life that that's where people come to know God. And when I, when I say come to know God, I don't mean um, become necessarily even a believer. I mean just you feel like there was an understanding of God in a certain moment, like an aha moment of, okay, my life is not lining up with something. There is a God. I need to pursue him. So for some of you, maybe it's an experience. 
Um, for some of you, it was like Richard mentioned in the class, uh, there was a, someone who used to be a member here who decided, you know what, I, I, I want to come to know God through the Bible. I believe in the Bible. So let me find people that only emphasize the Bible. So maybe some of you just picked up the Bible and you started reading it. And so through that, you said, you know what, I, I, I'm, I know God now. I, I'm coming to know God. It's different for a lot of us, but one thing that is true, I believe, is that we have to we have to agree that God determines how we can know him. Like he reveals himself in certain ways and he speaks at times so that people can know him. Um, he didn't always speak through he didn't speak through anyone who wanted to be uh, I'm trying to how to, how to phrase the phrase this. In the Old Testament days, everyone that wanted to be a prophet wasn't a prophet. Okay? God revealed himself and spoke through certain people. We can't assume that today we can know God on our terms or come to know God and learn of him on our terms. Um, that will be difficult for some of us to grasp and to accept, but that's just the reality. Um, God doesn't speak or act on our terms, on our schedule, and we, he, we don't determine how we can know him. So what I want to do today is really just focus on one aspect of how we can know God. And again, for the purpose of the lesson, I'm working under the assumption that all of us can agree uh, that we come to know God and we can know of God through Jesus, through his son. Um, if that is something that anyone here doesn't necessarily understand or doesn't believe, I think that's a fine conversation that, that we should have. I'm just not prepared to have it publicly <laughs> at this time. Um, but we can have that discussion, and I, I would appreciate that. And that would be helpful for me as well to, to kind of think through those things. Um, but John 10 is where Jesus says that he is the shepherd. And there's something in this text, in his teaching, of him explaining how he's a shepherd and what that means that really helps us understand how can I know God, helps us answer that question. So let's begin in John 10. We're going to read 1 through 21, and then we'll break it down and kind of walk through this, um, this section. So beginning of verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all his own, brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus, said to, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from the Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So let's start with the end of it. Can this person that is saying this, can Jesus of Nazareth be insane and crazy and oppressed with a demon? Well, the answer to that is no. Um, can someone who has a demon uh, heal someone who is blind? Can someone that has a demon cast out demons that are within people? And really another follow-up question that Jesus would even address is why would he? Um, you know, a house divided cannot stand. Why would someone from Satan cast out others from Satan? That doesn't make sense, even though they accuse him of that. So the answer is that Jesus is not insane. Uh, he doesn't have a demon. He needs to be listened to. Because if you look at their question, why listen to him? So if you can kind of take away the first part of it, well, why listen to him? Well, because he's not a demon. Because he doesn't have a demon. Because he's not insane. He, he has his right mind about him, and he's speaking things that are very clear. Just because they didn't understand it in verse 6 doesn't mean that it wasn't clear. They just didn't connect these things. It was difficult for them to comprehend. But it doesn't mean it was crazy. I mean, I could sit through a calculus class and think that that person sounds insane. That doesn't mean he is. That just means that I don't understand it. Um, so it's, it's, it's my inability to comprehend it that's the problem. So let's go ahead and walk through some of this. First of all, Jesus is a true shepherd. He's not a hired hand, and he's not one that had come before that was um, trying to lead the sheep astray. He wasn't there to lead people down the wrong path, okay? He is the true good shepherd. Um, there were people that came before that were, um, that were not the true shepherd. They were trying to lead people in a different way. Those people were thieves and robbers, and they climbed in by another way. But you know who came through the door, through the gate? It was Jesus. God, I would say from what it seems to me in verse 3, uh, God is the gatekeeper that opened the door for Jesus to actually be the shepherd for the people. That's how it reads to me. So how can they know him? And, and what it seems like he's saying is you know him by his voice. Like the sheep just know. When I was younger, I, would, I, I knew my mom, but uh, there was times where like, it, she wasn't the one to wake me up usually, so that was a foreign voice for me. My stepdad, I knew his voice, and his voice meant wake up. So when he would open the door, all he had to say was, Blake, and I, I was up. My mom would open the door, Blake, get up. I was snoozing. I didn't hear that at all. It didn't, it didn't match up to me. That voice wasn't something I associated with, you better get up. Not that I didn't respect my mom. I respected her and loved her. It just didn't fit with the circumstance, right? I was used to my stepdad's voice being the one to say, you better get up, right? So in this situation, I think that's kind of similar, that people were waiting to hear something. Not, there were some people that were wanting their, you know, they have itching ears and they just wanted certain things that appeased their, their own beliefs. But there were other people that were there. They were waiting to hear something that was from God that they would just know that is from God. And that's what Jesus brought. So although some people didn't like it, 
what he said, although some people were a little confused by it. In general, the people that were seeking God, when they heard Jesus speak, they knew he was from God. Maybe it started out just knowing that he was, there was something different about him. Well, the other people that had come before Jesus trying to lead people towards God, they knew that wasn't the real thing, right? Um, and I think that's what he's addressing here. So his voice is what stands out to them. His voice is how they know him because they know his voice and they know that it's from God. But it also says that he knows the sheep and he knows them by name. And that's interesting to me because how can he know all these sheep and then later on say, I, there are many that are not of this fold, right? What that points to is we don't need to question the knowledge of Jesus and the knowledge of God. We might question our own knowledge, but don't let that affect you're not you know, thinking, well, I don't know everything. I'm not sure I understand everything about God and then question God's knowledge or Jesus' knowledge of anything. He knows you and he knows everything about you. And just because you don't understand everything about him doesn't diminish his knowledge. Um, and then the last point from this first section is just the fact that it says very clearly that he leads the sheep. If you look at verse uh, four, what he says is he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I don't know if that's literally he walks in front of them because my understanding of how shepherds operated was that they led from behind. Um, although I did read this one kind of funny uh, story, which kind of points towards um, some of the other things here about people that lead for different purposes and motivations. Uh, there's a story of a guy that he, I think he might have even been in Israel, and he noticed some, some sheep and a shepherd. And he was like, why is the shepherd leading from behind? I don't understand that. And the tour guide said, oh, that's not the shepherd, that's the butcher. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I don't know the appropriate way to lead as a shepherd because my understanding is that it, there are times a shepherd does lead from behind because how else do they see you know, the 99 and the one that has gone away, right? But in general, a leader must be in front. Jesus is in front. Jesus is leading them. Whether you want to say he's behind them, corralling them and leading them by his voice, or he's literally in front of them showing the way, it really doesn't matter. Uh, the point is that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is leading, and people, these people will follow him. Um, then we go to, to the next section, um, and it kind of starts there in verse 4, actually, is that he brings out and leads his own. So um, I don't really understand everything that says he, he brought out all of his own. Uh, I think that just means that if I, this is my interpretation of that, when he calls out, many are brought out, and they kind of come to him, and then he leads. That's kind of the, the image I get uh, in my mind. Um, so his voice is the main thing, and that's the, the main uh, point I want you to get from the first six verses, really, is that his voice is what leads the sheep. Um, and there are others that they could follow, but God's sheep runs from those strangers because they hear the voice of Jesus. They hear the voice of God. Um, think back to the Old Testament. If they had heard other prophets, which they did, that were saying other things, did they always run from those prophets? No, they didn't always. But what about when they literally heard the voice of God or saw a sign that was directly from God? Well, they were in fear and they cowered. Why? Because there was no misunderstanding. That is the voice of God. There were people during this time that they could tell that this was the voice of God that was coming from Jesus. And they ran, some of them. Some of them got angry, but others followed. 
And I would say that even today, that those categories probably still exist. Some of us will run, some of us will get angry, and some of us will follow. So how can we hear the voice of God? Well, we've already established that, I think, where it could, based on Hebrews, uh, where it talks about the Old Testament, and then now with Jesus. I like to reference John 20. Uh, it says that what is written is there so that we believe Jesus. But first, I do want to point out that we do have to hear in order for us to believe. And I'm not talking about the whole steps to salvation that some of you might have heard of. I mean, it's just, it's just logical. Like, if you're going to believe something, you must hear it first. Um, so that's why all of this is written. It's so that we can know God, so we can hear him. The next section talks about him being the door of the sheep. You know, this is a practice of the shepherds where they laid at the entrance. Um, whether it was uh, some wood or something like that that they put up, where there was a natural kind of enclosure where there was just one entrance, or apparently sometimes they would just get stones and stack them up around to keep all the sheep in, but you had to have an opening, right? Well, the sheep, uh, the shepherd would lay at that opening. So if a wolf would come, which I don't know why the wolf couldn't just jump over the stones. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, uh, but I guess that, you know, it just happened to be that usually the wolf would kind of just go right at where the opening was. Maybe not knowing that that was the shepherd laying there. I'm not sure how all that operated. Um, but the shepherd was there so he could know if any sort of threat came in, but also to keep the sheep in. Um, that way they just kind of keep going in circles, right? Just keep going there, maybe bouncing off each other, I don't know, doing little bumper cars in there. Um, so in order to get through, to be part of the flock, you must go through the shepherd. You must go through the shepherd to get there. And I, I do think one thing that's interesting about this is if you look, um, I believe it's in verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. I don't understand the going in and out because once you're in, shouldn't you just stay in? I, I, you shouldn't want to leave the, the flock of God, right? And I don't think that's what it's talking about is like forsaking him and going to another flock, following another shepherd. I just, I think it's just this comfort of like, I'm with Jesus. I can, I, he is my shepherd. I trust in him. I can go in and out and be close by, and there's peace and comfort there. If you think about other people you might be able to follow, other shepherds, if you will, there's not a lot of peace to be able to go in and out and be around. It, it's, it feels very stressful. You know, It feels very intense. And I would even say that some of us can feel that way as we are following Jesus as well. And that's not the relationship that, um, that he wants with us, where we feel incredibly stressed and bogged down and nervous all the time about following him. We need to be able to get to a point where we hear his voice, there's a peace and a calming about that, we're with him, and we can find, I, I mean, when, I, when we say, he says pastor, I think he means that, like you can find all that you need all around there. Um, there's not this feeling of like, I'm enclosed right here and just bound up. That's how Jesus is a different shepherd. One of the things he does bring up in this section is that part of being the door means that he had to be a sacrifice as well. If you look at verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand wouldn't do that because there's not that, um, I guess, true feeling of like 
connection. There's not the investment. There's not the, they just don't really care. They're not going to lay down their life for something that's not theirs. Jesus laid down his life because he was their shepherd and he's the door of the shepherd. So if you want to get through him, you have to also understand that he had to die. I could see that being the biggest part that they didn't understand. If you're at the door, Jesus, why are you going to die? Why would you lay down your life? You're, you're at the door. <laughs> we need you at the door. But part of being the door in, in this, uh, when it comes to this imagery and when it comes to being part of the, the flock of God is that Jesus had to go and lay down his life. That doesn't mean he left the door wide open necessarily. He established that there would be people that would kind of be, not, not that they're fake, almost had pseudo-shepherds, but that would be fake shepherds, but that they would be um, kind of like just in place to help guard the flock still. He had his apostles. He had people who he entrusted with this work. But he had to go. He had to die and be the sacrifice for us. And really, when I look at verse 14 specifically, it seems like what he's saying starting in verse 14 is that he didn't just have to die because it was the plan. Knowing us led to Jesus dying for us. It, it, was, it was just a, he knew us and there was a love there based on him knowing us. So he had to die. It wasn't just, Jesus, this is, on your, this is your responsibility. You must do this. It was a choice. And he clearly says that. Wouldn't his knowledge of us make it harder to be our sacrifice? And I mean that two different ways. Why would he want to go if he, if he knew his people that were there? And I think that did make it hard for him to go. But the other aspect of it is that if he knew the flock, and if he knew those people, and if he knew us, why would he want to die for us? It's almost like the idea of a wretched man that I am. I don't understand why Jesus would want that and why he would choose that. Well, when he says that, um, verse 18, that he lays it down of his own accord, and then he says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. There, there's a few different reasons I think he laid down his life for us, even though he knew us. Number one is he knew his father first, and he knew it was the charge from the father. Number two seems to be that he also knew that he had the authority and the power to take it up again. So he knew that death in this life was not the end. And the third, I think, is something that he references earlier, which is that there's a true love there. Uh, if you look at verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. I think that part of that relationship is that Jesus knows God, knows the Father, the Father knows Jesus. And there's a love there. And I don't think the, that the love is contingent on Jesus doing what he was supposed to do, but it seems like um, he, him doing what he was supposed to do was a reaction to the love from the Father. And I would say that that relationship is similar between us and Jesus as well. And that's one of the reasons that he did it. It's because he loved us so much. And he doesn't lay down his life so that we will follow him. But he, there's an understanding and knowledge that based on his love for us, we will. Um, it's not contingent. His love is not contingent on us doing that necessarily. However, it is kind of a natural reaction 
for us to follow through on our end, the same way that Jesus followed through on his end with the Father. Another thing that I, I do see here is that our knowing and being known is very similar to this relationship of the Father and the Son. That's comforting to me. We didn't read these verses, but in 1 John, uh, we just read the first few verses, but in 1 John, that's actually a lot of that discussion there. That's a lot of the teaching there is that you can have fellowship with God because you know what? I, this is from John, the Apostle John's perspective. I have fellowship with God. And you know how I have fellowship with God? is because I have fellowship with Jesus. And Jesus has fellowship with God. So I know Jesus. Jesus knows God. So therefore, I know God. And if you know me and you listen to what I have to say, then you can know God as well. And that's kind of the same thing here in John 10. It's, no, um, it's not by accident that a lot of the themes and the things said in the Gospel of John are the same as in the Epistle first John because the same guy right so there's some themes about love and about knowledge and about fellowship and about light and darkness those things are very prevalent throughout all of these uh, teachings and at the end here um, one of the important things that I think it does say is that all that know him are of one flock he says very clearly that there is one flock in verse 16 and one shepherd that ignores the time constraints. It doesn't matter if you're in B.C. or in A.D., if it's, you know, um, it doesn't matter if that we're in 2018 or if it was in the year 18. Or, I mean, none of that matters. There's one flock and there's one shepherd. It also doesn't matter ge geographical constraints or um, economic constraints. None of that matters. Jesus is very clear that his way and the way that you would come to know him I mean, it's going to be different than what you would typically think. You don't have to be rich. In fact, the rich will find it difficult to be part of his flock. And that really confused the disciples. Um, you don't have to be of a certain place. Like, you don't have to be of a certain tribe to be part of him and to be useful in his kingdom, which would have been difficult for them to, to really wrap their heads around. And none of that matters. So I guess one of the questions that I would have, and I know this is just kind of been walking through, is so how can we know God? Well, like I already said, I do believe that one of the important things to emphasize is that we know God because he's allowed us to know him through his son. Well, how can we really know Jesus? Well, we hear his voice. That's one of the things that is tough um, for me when it comes to some of the studies and classes that we have is that a lot of people say that they hear the voice, uh, the voice of God, the voice of Jesus. And maybe they even have, have seen or feel like they've experienced certain signs to go along with that. That is a tough um, subject to broach with people. And I don't have the perfect way of doing that or the right answers. But I would say that if hearing that voice leads you to believe something or do something different than what you see Jesus specifically say, then you can't be, that can't be the voice of Jesus. Because what he says is there's one flock and one shepherd. That sounds like a different shepherd to me. That, it seems like that would be, that's a different voice. And that's a voice that you should run from. Because one of the things he does say is that a stranger they will not follow. If you are God's and you are Jesus' flock, you run from that other shepherd. You run from that voice. You ignore it, and you're, I don't want to hear that. But 
the voice of Jesus, that's the voice that you follow. And sometimes that voice can take the form of people that we respect and we love. Um, I've heard a lot of people say things that I, I love those people and the things they say, they kind of sound right, but it just doesn't seem to line up with what, not what I've been told before, but with I, what I see from God and what I hear Jesus say. Well then, as hard as it might be, I, I really need to run from that voice of that other person. They might have my best interest in heart, or they might say that, and, and I believe that they would, but that doesn't mean that they have the true knowledge like Jesus did. And also, that doesn't mean they have the same knowledge that the apostles had. Jesus, it says later on in John that he was entrusting the apostles a certain work, and he was providing them with a very special thing. And he says it was going to be the helper was going to come. The Holy Spirit was going to come and lead them into all truth, Right? I don't think that they had a lack of understanding or truth. I don't think Jesus left them, left them wanting. I think the details needed to be filled in, and the Holy Spirit was there for that. So that might be a tough thing for us to have a conversation with someone about when they say that, you know, the voice they hear or the teaching that they have come to understand is leading them in a different direction to come to a different conclusion. If we can just go back to the teaching of Jesus and then the teaching of the people who he entrusted to lead the flock once he was gone, being the apostles and, and the other people of that day, then I think that we can, we can confidently feel like we're following the voice of the shepherd. So he lays down his life in order to take it up again. You know, that, that's, that's a tough thing for, for me to, to understand. I mean... If you're going to take it up again, why even lay it down? Well, it's, it's for our good and our, for our benefit that he did that. And that is something that is very difficult for me to live with because there's, there's a guilt there. There's kind of a, a frustration that I even have to some degree. Because what I also understand is that if I'm going to believe that, if I'm going to follow that, then one of the things that First John does say in First John 2 by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If I'm going to believe everything about what Jesus says here, then it also leads me to believe that I must keep his commandments. Um, another part in John, John 14, 15, says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, I, I memorized that verse because it helped me to feel like I must do the right things. Um, but I don't think that's a healthy relationship. Uh, between us and God, to just think that way. John fifteen fourteen actually says, you are, my, you are my friends if you do what I command. And then you look at this relationship between the Father and Jesus here, and the love that was there, and then Jesus kind of, I, hate, I don't know if this is the right way of saying it, but making good on that love, like fulfilling that love by doing what the Father wanted him to do and charged him with, that's the healthy relationship that we need to have with Jesus, is that we know that he loves us, and we love him. So you know what? I will do what he commands. This might have seemed like kind of, okay, we walked through John 10, but what was the point? And, you know, how does this go along with the whole idea of what we said earlier with people that have different understandings of how to come to know God and Jesus? Well, my purpose was to simply say that as we have these discussions with people, and maybe as we wrestle with these uh, topics ourselves in our own hearts and our own minds. The best thing we can do is just 
go directly to God in his voice. And what that means is we go directly to Jesus and to his voice. And we just kind of go from there. And I know that might seem like it's a little difficult because on a day-to-day basis, why can't I just have that voice like on, you know, pop into my head immediately right when I need it? And I would say that in some of the conversations I've had with people, the things that they say, it makes me think that that is what's happening to them. And that might just be the influence of, of the scripture. That might be the fact that they delight in his law. That might be the fact that they've wrote it on their hearts. So therefore, in times of distress, in times of feeling lost a little bit and wanting to know what to do, you know what? God speaks to me. Now that might make us feel a little uncomfortable to say it that way, but if it's grounded and rooted in the voice of Jesus and in his teaching and the teaching of the apostles, then that's exactly how we should feel. That's exactly what we should say. God does speak. Now he doesn't speak to me directly, you know, where I hear a new voice. That's a new shepherd. What I need to think about is, you know what? I put myself in the word and I'm grounded in it. You know what? God speaks to me. And, and not just in, in, you know, one instance. It's like so prevalent in my life that maybe I don't even sit back and think, what do I do? It just becomes clear at that point. Um, there might be some people here today that they struggle with that. And if you're in that situation, that's the, where you stand right now is you struggle with knowing what's right and what's wrong. And if you're following God correctly or not, or if you're hearing another voice that, you know, it kind of seems to go against some things that you read in Scripture, then I would say that um, you need to reach out to somebody. Uh, I would hope you re- reach out to someone here to figure out what you need to do and figure out what voice you need to listen to. But it also might be that there's someone here who they, they've been hearing the voice of God. They've been reading scripture. They've, they know the voice of Jesus, and they also know that they're not following that voice. Well, you're not part of that flock then. Because if, if you're part of the flock of God and you're part of the flock of Jesus, then you listen to the voice and you follow him. And you might need some prayers, and we're here for you if that's your situation. Part of the song that Robin's going to lead in a second says, um, Hear the sweet voice of the Savior say, Come unto me, I am the way. It might also be that you're not a Christian right now, that you haven't come to Jesus on the way that he says you need to come to him. If you have questions about that or you know that that's not you, that you have not come to him, I strongly encourage you to to listen to Jesus, hear his voice, and follow him. Um, if, if you need prayers or you need to repent or you need to have a conversation with anyone here, once you make that known, whether right now as we're singing the song or even after the worship service, after the prayer, and just have a discussion with someone.